Hello everyone. So I'll be dealing with Maitreyi Chandra's essay, The Burden of English, page number forty, second part. Tagore endows only sushi with full-fledged subjectivity. It is in the service of building that subject that Tagore deploys that stunning mixture of Sanskritized and colloquial Bengali that marks his writing of the spirit. There is some cultural discrepancy in creating sushi as the subject agent of romantic love or preen that is still not the legitimate model of the cementing emotion of the institution of the Indian marriage. Rabindranath brings this about through an expert manipulation of the model of burabo or love in absence abundantly available in classical Sanskrit. Any careful reader will see the marks of this in the construction of sushi subjectivity. So here tago endows sushi with full fledged subjectivity and uh, we also see how tago has brought into the story uh, the model of uh, burabo or love in absence uh, which is abundantly available in classical sanskrit so coming to the next paragraph the discrepancy involved in the sanskrit sanskritization of sushi's subjectivity as the as the agent of preem is never treated ironically by tago it is in the interest of constructing her as the subject or agent of sneho or affection that a benevolent irony makes its appearance but always only at the expense of her brother nilmoni there are many instances of this i will quote a tiny fragment simply to remind myself of the pleasure of the text krishokai brihat mastak gambhir mukh shyambarno chaleti so uh, here we see that the discrep- discrepancy involved in the uh, sanskritization of soshi subjectivity uh, it is shown as the agent of preem and it is actually never treated ironically by tago and here we also come across um, a tiny fragment that reminds us the pleasure of the text and the meaning of the fragment uh, we'll see in the next paragraph this fantastic collection of epithets reading reading which it is almost impossible to depart from pure sanskrit phonetics is a measure of the registers of irony and seriousness with which tago can play the instrument of his prose the available english translation the heavy painted grave faced dusky child is of course hopeless at catching these mechanics so this is a fantastic collection of epithets and um, when we read through it it is almost impossible to depart from pure sanskrit phonetics and it is and it is seen as a measure of the registers of irony and seriousness with which tagore can actually play the instrument of his prose and the uh, available english translation is said to be the heavy painted grave faced dusky child coming to page number 41 why read a high culture vernacular text as we think of the burden of teaching english let us backtrack the goal of teaching such a thing as literature is epistemological but also epistemic transforming the way in which objects of knowledge are constructed perhaps also shifting desires in the subject so um here the author says that the goal of teaching um, english as a high culture vernacular te- text is actually has um two goals um, that is one is epistemological while other one is epistemic so one object of knowledge perhaps the chief object is the human being inevitably gendered one object of knowledge is the human being itself it is always through such epistemic or epistemological transformations that we begin to approximate the implied reader so it is through these transformations that we find uh, the implied reader 
in our case the approximation is mediated by the new vernacular literatures secreted by the encounter described for this writer with a profound imperialist irony as the bengal renaissance that particular mediation has been commented on ad nauseum and is indeed a cliche of indian cultural history like most cliches this one has become part of the truth of indian cultural self representation and in the fabrication of this truth tagore's role is crucial some of tagore's most significant epistemic meddling is with women so here comes another point about uh, tagore and uh, his writing here it's just said that uh, one of the most significant epistemic meddling is with women women constituted by and constituting such minds become the culturally representative implied reader so here in his story women become the culturally representative women uh, implied reader therefore the problem of the teaching of english literature is not separated from the development of the colonial subject and women being notoriously the unfixed part of cultural subjectivity as it is represented by men the construction of the feminine feminine subject in colonial vernacular literature can give us a sense of the classroom molding of minds preserved in literary form to read vernacular colonial literature in this way as preparing the ground for as it is prepared by british literature in the colonies is to challenge the contrast often made in western colonial discourse studies between western literature as central and the third world literature in this case indian as marginal or emergent so uh, we are pointed towards the difference in western literature and uh, indian literature where western literature is seen as a central and indian literature which is a third world literature is seen as the marginal or the emergent expanding ashish nandi's idea of the intimate enemy or my own notion of violating enablement it seems more productive to consider the heterogeneity on both sides in order to make systemic changes we need systemic taxonomies in that conviction we must repeat that two discontinuous ways in which the opposition center or margin or dominant or emergent is undone are gender and class so uh, two discontinuous ways in which the center or the margin or else the dominant or the emergent is undone is through uh, gender and class thus it seems important to look at tagore's participation in the project of epistemic transformation by way of a rural woman this is more interesting in the business of the construction of the implied reader precisely because so she the central character does not belong to the class of women who will read the story felicitously in its own time this class separation allows for a feeling of identity indifference which seems a much more flexible instrument of epistemic transformation as a site of negotiations what happens when an exceptional underclass woman is herself a creative reader of british literature will be considered in this second, uh, next section so now we are coming to a section where we come across what actually happens when an uh, exceptional underclass women, woman Uh, becomes a creative reader of british literature what happens to her what happens to literature so she is developed as an agent of romantic love in elegant sanskritic prose in descriptive third person with no hint of indirect freestyle so she is shown as an agent of romantic love in other words rhetorically in the text she is given no access to a sanskritized subjectivity so we see that so she is not given any access to a sanskritized sanskritized subjectivity she is an agent of romantic love 
in her case what will be shown is the subordination of love or frame for her husband to affection or sneho for her orphan brother so what we see in her case is the love for her husband or prem for her husband versus the affection or sneho for her orphan brother the entire network of indian patriarchy including colonial functionaries as well as soshi's own untransformed conjugal epistemology would like to keep soshi in the gender private sphere as her husband's adjunct so uh, according to indian patriarchy or um, according to what indian patriarchy follows uh, we would or indian patriarchy would like to keep soshi under her husband than with her brother as a gender private sphere so she enters the public sphere by establishing direct contact with the british colonial authority and chooses to re-enter the patriarchal uh, enclosure she is destroyed by this choice so we see how the indian patriarchy wants to keep soshi in the uh, gendered private sphere of the husband and what we see is that she moves from the gender private sphere to the public sphere when she establishes a direct contact with the british colonial authority and again she chooses to re-enter the patriarchal enclosure because of her love to her husband and she is destroyed by this choice keeping within the allegory of the production of the colonial subject with something like a relationship with the implied reader of british literature we see the orphan brother as the full-fledged future colonial subject mourning his sister his personal past but encircled by the sahib's left arm the right implicitly pointing to a historical future so as we uh, keep this allegory aside we uh, see something like a relationship with the implied reader of british literature this implied reader here is a woman we see the orphaned brother as a future colonial subject who is mourning his uh, sister his personal past but uh, he is encircled by the sahib's left arm and the right it points to a historical future in front of him it is so she however who supplements the picture choosing to remain in the state static culture while sending the young unformed male into the dynamic colonial future so so she goes back to her private circle by leaving her brother into the public open world of that of the future so uh, she is not the real reader and she is more like a woman so this is what happens when a woman becomes a um, reader of british literature
so looking into gora we come to page number 44 and it's the last paragraph gora yt the word applied to the british tommy is here a perfectly acceptable diminutive from gormohan appeared 5 years after the publication of kim the heroes of both novels are irish orphans of the indian mutiny who turned indian but there are the resemblance but there the resemblance ends gora becomes uh, both a nationalist indian and a tremendously orthodox brahman at the end of the novel he finds out that he is not only a brahman but not even a hindu or an indian by birth it is then that he realizes that he is most truly indian because he chooses to be so his realization is embedded in a discourse for women of women first his identification of india with his foster mother who unlike his foster father did not observe caste difference ma you have no caste rules no loathing no contempt you are my india then the summons to the hitherto spurned untouchable servant now call your lachmiya ask her to bring me a glass of water and finally the mother's request to him to acknowledge the love of the emancipated brahmo heroic expressed you obliquely as a request to summon a male friend gora now sent for binoy rather different in historical feel from kimohara with the lama on a hill top the end of kim so she says about gora and um, the hero is an irish orphan of indian mutiny who turned indian actually and the resemblance actually ends there when we compare gora and kim both stories have their heroes as uh, irish orphans who of the indian mutiny who turned indian coming to gora um, he becomes a nationalist indian and but he is tremendously uh, an orthodox brahmin but later on he finds that he is not a brahmin not even a hindu or even an indian by birth and he understands that uh, being an indian is uh, what happens in the mind and for him he wishes to be an indian and this um, feeling of discourses or this identification uh, happened in him through his foster mother Uh, who did not find any kind of caste differences for her everybody was the same everything was the equal and everything uh, was kept in the mind preserved in the mind we just had to find who we were in ourselves if i were commenting on the thematics of the half caste as true indian i should contrast this figure with mahashwada devi's mary oraun and again the registers of class and gender and of course coloniality and post coloniality would come into play by contrasting half caste mary to kipling's irish as indian hero one would have to notice that the feudal and the nationalist axiomatic the codified past as opposed to a possible dynamic future kim's return is acted out again by em forster's fielding their futures are not seriously marked by the colonies for gora agencies bestowed by the colony as nation the theme of choice is important here as well so she compares uh kim to uh, mahashwada devi's mary oraun and the character mary who is half caste so it's all about choice all these three works they tell us about the choice that people make to find the person they are within themselves now page number 45 the second paragraph but gora is not a divided subject in the same way as soshi now we compare gora with soshi if he chooses a return to culture he is also the inheritor of the future the theme of sacrifice is less ambivalent and therefore less interesting in gora so uh, comparing gora and soshi uh, unlike soshi if gora had chose 
I mean, like Soshi, if Gora had chose to return to culture, he would, uh, he would have become the inheritor of the future. But here, he doesn't choose to return to his own culture, which makes him, uh, or which does not make him an inheritor of the future. So it was his choice uh, whether to return back to his culture or not that determined whether he would become the inheritor of the future or not. And the theme of sacrifice is also less shown in Gora and so it becomes less interesting. The colonial reader is as race and gender divided from Gora as she would be class divided from Soshi. So in Gora, we see the uh, colonial reader as a race and gender divided one, just like it is a class divided one in Soshi. And from that race and gender distant position, the system of representations she ascends to is again not quite accessible to the staging of her own identity, but this time from below, not as in the case of the indigenous woman from above. The cultural choice and bequest of the future can inhere in the same phantasmatic character the white man turned Indian by choice. So, again, it is about choice, about the cultural choice and how the choices that people make makes them the person they are. For example, the choice of an Irishman, of a white man made him an Indian. So, it's again our choice whether to be an Indian or an American or whatever. It depends upon the individual. Sorry for the sounds. The development of readership thrives in the difference and the deferment stage between hero and reader, whether from above or below. In a former colony, the institutional teacher of imperialist and colonial literature can open this space of difference only by way of persistently undoing the institutional difference between that literature and the literatures in the mother tongue. It is then that the active vectors of these differences, negotiating gender, class and race, would begin to appear. So, the institutional teacher of imperialist and colonial literature. We talked about how teachers should uh, work to undo the um, barriers between British literature and native literature. So, again, it is told that an institutional teacher of imperialist and colonial uh, colonial literature can open the space of difference or never an identity. How? Only by way of persistently undoing the institutional difference between that literature and the literatures in the mother tongue. She has to or he has to continuously um, undo the institutional differences between the literature, um, the so-called upper or so-called central literature and the literatures in the mother tongue. It is then that the active vectors of these differences, now what happens, the active vectors that are present in these differences, they negotiate gender, class and race and they begin to appear. Let us now consider a performance of this undoing in the very house of performance during the colonial era. I am referring to the Calcutta Professional Theatre at the end of the 19th century. To give an example of the undoing of the undoing of institutional difference, I will quote from Binodi's My Life at Length. So now we come across a quote from Binodi's My Life, uh, My Life, yeah. Girish Babu, the eminent actor Girish Chandra Ghosh, 1844-1912, taught me with great care the performance of Paths. His teaching method was wonderful. First, he explained the essence bhava of the part then he would ask us to memorize it 
then he had then when he had time he would sit in a house with amrit mitra amrit babu bhuni babu and others and tell us the writings of many different british actresses of eminent british poets such as shakespeare milton byron pope as if they were stories sometimes he would read the books aloud and explain he taught various movies moves and gestures one by one because of this care i started learning acting work with knowledge and intelligence what i had learned before was like the cleverness of parrots i had experienced little i had not been able to say or understand anything with argument or reasoning from now on i could understand my own performance selected part part when big british actors or actresses came i would be eager to see their acting and the directors of the theater would take pains to accompany me to see english theater when we returned home girish babu would ask well now let's hear something about what you've seen so talking about the quote it says about girish babu the eminent actor girish chandra ghosh and how he taught binodi uh with great care about the performance of parts so his teaching method was wonderful it was quite different he explained the essence of the part and he would ask them to memorize it after which he would sit in their house with amrit mitra amrit babu and the others and talk to them about the writings of many british actresses and of british poets such as shakespeare milton byron and pope and he would present them like they were stories sometimes he would also read out the books to them and also explain it to them and while doing all this he also showed and taught various moves and gestures and because of this they uh, started learning acting work with knowledge and with intelligence so um what i have what uh, what binodi had learned was that um before or before meeting girish babu um binodi had experienced little and binodi had not been able to understand or say anything with argument or reasoning just uh, he was not able to argue or to understand things in the right way but after entering or after being in uh after coming uh after learning from girish babu the the process of thinking and the way of looking at things changed and understanding things became easier understanding british actors and actresses became easier and the eagerness to see them became more and there arose an interest to watch uh, english theater and sometimes when they returned home after watching english theater girish babu asked them now tell me what you've seen so that's all about my portion and thank you